0: top two ways to grow mold in your home. Water activity level. If you maintain a high water activity level, you have a good opportunity to grow mold. Number two, fail to mitigate water events. If you fail to do the math to know how much water just leaked out of a pipe or out of a tub or out of a toilet and where that water went, you have an excellent opportunity to grow mold. You are listening to the Manage Mold Podcast. This podcast was made for families on a health journey that need the real, no-holds-barred answers on how to create and ensure a healthy home. This show should be your launching pad to give you the information, guidance, and inspiration and clarity you need on your journey back to a healthy home. My name is Dean Malstead. You can find and follow me on Facebook and LinkedIn. Welcome to Manage Mold. Welcome to the Manage Mold Podcast. This is episode number eight. Today, we are going to go to a place to learn about the top two ways to grow mold in your home, and that may be a little bit different than what you were expecting. So in the last two episodes, we talked about a short or a brief, an overview history of mold, and then we talked about water damage. We talked about liquid water and vapor water. And the important role that water plays in mold growth in a home. So, today, the top two ways to grow mold in your home. Here they are water activity level. So, you can maintain or ignore issues, it's your choice. But if you maintain a high water activity level, you have a good opportunity to grow mold. Number two, fail to mitigate water events. If you fail to do the math to know how much water just leaked out of a pipe or out of a tub or out of a toilet and where that water went, you have an excellent opportunity to grow mold in your home or any building for that matter. So let's get into this. We're going to talk in as simple terms as possible, and we're going to use grass seed and dandelions as two of our main items to compare this to, and then we'll compare it to different conditions that those two plants thrive in. And part of the reason for that is mold, fungi, acts a lot like a plant. And so it has various growth stages and it will go to seed and it will allow the seed to spread through the air and then it will reset or replant or resettle itself. In a place where it can then wait for the perfect opportunity for the things it needs to grow, and then it will root and it will grow. So, water activity. So, most people maybe haven't even heard about this. This would be common in the food industry as well as in the restoration industry for us to talk about water activity levels. And specifically, when we're talking about buildings or homes, we're talking about how much water is in various types of materials that might be in our home and how much of that water is available to be utilized by mold to grow. And so that is really the boiled down version of the definition, I should say, of what is water activity level. And it is the available water for mold or fungi to grow. Most mold relies on a high water activity level, a high activity environment outside the cellular wall of the mold. Usually when mold has gone dormant, the interior of the cell is experiencing a low water activity level environment. And so when water activity increases near mold, where mold has settled, then that pressure outside the cellular wall as it moves across the cellular, cellular wall will then increase the water activity level inside the cellular wall, and those spores will then go into growth phases. So let's make this super simple. Let's talk about grass seed. If you are in a climate area, in a geographic area, that gets regular rain, has good fertile soil, and you go to spread grass seed out to establish a lawn, and you put down the proper fertilizer if you think you need that, if the soil is needing some extra food in it. Otherwise, the soil oftentimes is food source enough. The minerals and the nitrogen that naturally comes and other properties that are in the soil that helps grass grow. In some areas, you don't need the fertilizer but you also need moisture. And so you need food, which the soil is the food, that is the food bed for the grass to grow in, and you need moisture. And anyone in a geographic area that gets regular rains has probably seen this take place, where grass seed is laid out, and it's a dormant seed, there's no activity, the water activity level within that seed is low, and it is placed into or onto damp soil and then possibly covered with something to maintain moisture or it is watered to maintain moisture and a high water activity level outside those seeds, within a few days, those seeds will germinate, the roots will go down, the grass seed will sprout and go up then when the roots have gone down, and you'll start seeing these small blades of grass growing across this area that you've seeded. So people who are in drier climates or desert climates, obviously, if you try and do that without adding water, without adding mulch, without adding something that will maintain or replenish that moisture for that grass seed, you will grow nothing. And if you stop watering it, not only will that grass seed go dormant, in most cases, if it's a grass that is not native to the area, it won't just go dormant, it will actually die in that case. In the case of native grasses, which is probably the best comparison, those grasses will go dormant. And then oftentimes if you rewater in most areas, I realize not in all, but in most areas, those plants will then come back to life and they will grow again. So grass seed, like mold spores, needs water. It needs a food bed to sit in. In the case of mold spores in your home or a building that you might work in, we're talking about things like drywall, wood, especially non-treated wood. We're talking about paper or cardboard. We're talking about actual food scraps, human food scraps or dog food scraps. We're talking about skin cells that animals in the home or people in the home will shed daily. Clothing fiber. So as we wear our clothing, especially with the natural Type fibers like the wools and the cottons, uh, those will shed also, and that will leave a microscopic food source for mold to grow on. So all it needs is the water activity level. And so here's the important part. Two things that people we see most often fail to recognize and fail to monitor is water activity level. And so as a result of the failure to monitor that water activity level in various parts of their home, people can oftentimes uh, run into trouble with mold growth because they weren't actually watching what was happening. And this could be in a number of different areas. So water activity level is especially prominent in crawl spaces and basements, where those types of buildings exist. However, the buildings that are slab on grade, so there is no basement, there is no space underneath the floor, but the concrete is poured right on top of the ground. And I will say even in sandy soils, in areas where there is regular rain or there is a regular water table that is identifiable and the potential for water pressure, either vapor or liquid to be able to come up or down in the soils underneath a structure. I'm talking about concrete slabs or slab on grade buildings also in this. This is one of the largest storage areas of moisture for most homes. Concrete, again, is hydrophilic, so that means it likes water. So if it is placed into or onto soils that can be damp, become damp, or have been damp, water will wick up into concrete if the concrete actually has storage capacity. And if that water activity level in the concrete is actually lower than the water activity level in the soils around it, that water activity level will transfer and move into the concrete. And thus you have a wicking action that takes place. So right before your very eyes, you can be looking at a a crawl space wall. You could be looking at a basement wall. You could be looking right at the floor that you're standing on and it will appear dry to most people. And so you need to use various types of meters or measuring devices to actually know what the water activity level is in those concrete slabs and walls. So the interesting part about this is in a lot of the older homes, let's say back in the 1950s, 40s, 30s, there were basements and crawl spaces put in. And especially in the case of the basements with houses, there was not really a consideration of putting any kind of a interior finish in those spaces to make it a livable space necessarily it was very utilitarian there was canned goods there was odd seasonal storage and then there was heating appliances water came into the home electricity and things like that it was more of a utility area when that started to change and we started to finish these basements we didn't always do the best job of securing underneath the concrete slab or around the walls to know that we were keeping water liquid and water vapor away from the concrete. And thus, hydrophilic, water-loving concrete then was available or is available. And as things get old and break down in the soil, like concrete foundation walls and slabs, they will start to take on more water over time. And then with new homes, Sometimes the new homes are built so rapidly and put together so rapidly that a lot of the concrete components in a home, even the taping, mudding, painting, a lot of these components aren't actually allowed to cure out and dry. And so some of the newer homes start out with an excess amount of water activity in the components. So, with that said, we go and finish our basement. We put various types of flooring on the floor. We frame walls within our concrete walls. And in the past, we actually attached non-treated wood right to the walls or in the newer homes, let's say starting even in the 1980s, there became the framed walls within foundation walls and basement systems. And those were non-treated and yet they were allowed to touch and be in very close proximity to the concrete that might be damp or have a high water activity level. And then drywall or paneling was put on inside of those. And then there were all kinds of variations in various parts of the country of a poly barrier was then added. Then there was a second poly barrier added. And then the poly barriers were moved to a different part of the assembly next to the foundation wall. Then they were taken out. There were all kinds of variations of this that have taken place. And even up to today, you can find five, six, or seven different types of energy walls built into basements. Crawl spaces have had some similar issues with them, depending on what part of the country you're in. And some have insulation added. Some have a six mil poly barrier kind of loosely laid over the floor. And the best ones actually have insulated walls. And especially if it's a closed cell insulation that seals over a membrane that has been wrapped, that has been laid all over the floor, sealed up, sealed around posts, and then wrapped up the walls and sealed against the walls with closed cell spray foam to stabilize those crawl spaces and keep them dry. Slab on grade, it's a matter of what kind of flooring are you putting on it. It's a matter of did you use non-treated wood to be placed underneath the walls that were built there. So all of these things dealing with concrete and with earth, depending on what part of the country you're in, they might be a bigger issue or a smaller issue. Obviously, if you go to, to areas of the country, where it is much drier, it may not be as big of an issue. However, I've been at places in near-desert or desert-like, high-desert-like conditions where they have a crawl space and the whole crawl space has mold in it. And yet the people there, they'll be walking on dry plants and dried grass uh, by the beginning of June because everything is so parched and there's so little rain. Even so, The ground has a capacity in those environments, even when you build a structure over the top and you kind of put an upside down box, so to speak, whether that's a basement or a crawl space, but especially a crawl space, when you put that upside down box over it, it kind of traps moisture that might come up out of the ground that you can't visually see, but it's coming up and it gets caught underneath that kind of upside down box in the crawl space. And then it becomes enough water activity in that structure, both in the soil, then absorbing into the wood of the structure, which the wood is the food source for mold, for your mold problem to come into play. So for your grass seed, so to speak, to get enough water and to be planted in the right area for it to grow. And in this case, we're talking about mold, mold spores. And then that cycle continues. Then from season to season, depending if you have seasons or not, uh, that change. So a lot of people don't think about slabs, about crawl spaces, and about basements in that way. And in fact, we have this, this thing that kind of rides with us, this historical account of what is normal. And so because it was always normal for our parents or our grandparents' homes to be a certain way, or for that lake or river home to have that certain crawl space, and it always had that certain smell when we first would go and open it up and go into it, some of these things become normal to us. And it's a matter of the reality for people who are sick from various things, from bacterial infections or parasites or other things that have brought their immune systems down, or perhaps it was mold toxicity that brought their immune system down. More and more people are needing to become aware of history may tell us one thing, and it may kind of put this, kind of put a sleepy, a sense in us about these things that we don't really think about or see. But because of the reality of some of the disease of today, some of the susceptibilities, the food source that we have as far as what we eat and the quality of that or the lack thereof of the food that we eat in specifically in the West, all these things play into a bigger susceptibility to negative health. So, as a result, we need to become more aware of the foundations that we have built our homes and our buildings on and the water activity level of those foundations. That is probably the single biggest thing that we see people either ignore or they're not even aware of, or they just don't understand that that's a problem. And oftentimes, we're finding large mold issues in homes that are within a basement or a crawl space and it's usually hidden away and you don't see it. And oftentimes you don't even necessarily smell the mold problem because it is so diluted in the air of the homes that we have today because of HVAC systems, because of the large spaces, because windows are open or some other reason. So all of that should give us pause to think about where do we live? Where did we live growing up? Where are we having some of our guests or our children sleep or live, so to speak, if they have their rooms in a basement, especially, to think about those things about the water activity level. So mold is always in the air. So for all the naysayers out there who, who think that podcasts like this and who think that people who talk about mold and mold illness, that it's all made up and that it's all in people's heads, well, we know better than that now. But here's here's where I'll agree with them obviously, is all around the world, everywhere, there's mold in the air. And if you're from the north, this might kind of be interesting. And it might even be really interesting for people to understand from the south. We can be in the middle of a blizzard in the north part of the United States. And you can take samples outside in a blizzard and you will find mold spores in your sample. And so we can get mold counts on snowy days and blizzardy days when there's white covering the ground and you couldn't see anything that would be food for mold. It's in the air. So obviously when it's in the air and it settles out and it settles on things inside of our homes and there is a water activity level within the materials of our homes, and that could even be the carpet or the pad or various things that we haven't discussed here today, mold is going to, at certain point, Grow, root, and then it's going to reproduce. And again, remember the thing about mold is mold is so small that we cannot see individual mold spores with the naked eye. We have to use a microscope or something to bring the size of that mold spore into our visual space and our visual capacity because. Without that, we can't see mold spores. By the time you see mold spores and you see a little clump of them, whether it's green or gray or pink or white or black or whatever color the mold might be, by the time you see it, there are millions of spores in that little community. And so what people fail to realize is when you get certain assemblies, like energy walls in a basement, for instance, you can have mold spread throughout that entire wall assembly, that will show up in sampling. Maybe you would smell it if you open up the wall. You should definitely be able to see some type of water intrusion, water intrusion event that took place or a weakness in a foundation wall or something like that, that would be the indicator that there was fuel, the water and there was water activity level enough to sponsor mold growth. So that's something to really consider and think about. When we look at the second top way to grow a mold in your house, this one to me is equally as interesting because so many people just fail to do the math. And we've talked about this just a little bit already, but I'm going to bring it up again. Let's say that you've got a couple of children and you run a bathtub and someone calls and there's other distractions and the kids get hungry and the bathtub keeps running. Bathtubs have overflow drains, but sometimes the flow of water can overtake what the overflow drain will take away, or maybe it's clogged for some reason, not working. And so your tub runs over. Bathtubs put out, bathtub faucets put out a pretty decent amount of water on the average system, three to five gallons a minute. So let's say it on the high end, that it was five gallons a minute. And if, let's say it ran for an hour, end of the hour, the clock or something alarmed and all of a sudden you're in charge of filling that tub and you just remembered the tub never got shut off and you run to see this tub overflowing and there is water going everywhere and it goes out into the hallway and it goes into the bedroom next door. It goes into the front entryway or, or or something like that. And so you shut off the water obviously. And if it's been an hour, that's 60 minutes. And if it was five gallons per minute, do the math That's 300 gallons of water. Where did the 300 gallons go? You have to now visualize this. So, if you're seeing it in an area that's maybe, I don't know, 10 by 15 or 15 by 15 or 10 by 20, where the water has soaked some carpet and it's sitting on the tile floor and it's sitting on the tile floor in the bathroom, here's where most people will maybe get a shot back, drop the water that they can out of the carpet. Or off the standing water, they get towels, they get mops, whatever they do. And they get half wore out doing this because it's not easy work if you don't have the right equipment, the right tools to do this. They vacuum, vacuum, vacuum the carpet until it feels dry. They keep walking on it, more water squishes up because the pad has some in it. Let's say that this house has a crawl space underneath it. Most people won't even bother to think about the crawl space and that probably 290 gallons of water went into the crawl space and now the crawl space if it was wet before it is really wet now. The water activity level in that crawl space is huge compared to the dry spaces at the edges of the crawl space, the dry parts of the floor joists underneath and now we have real fuel source, the water activity level for mold to grow in a place where it already is sitting waiting to grow or grow again. And it's got plenty of food because it's either sitting on the wood or it's sitting on the soil or some other scraps that are laying around in a crawl space. In a basement, maybe it ran down and it it got part of a carpet area wet in one room, but a lot of it went to a drain, ran to a drain, and it drained away. So at this point, we see a lot of people say, well, a lot of it ran down to the drain and some will even say, well, it actually didn't even get to carpet in the basement, so everything is fine. And they, by this point, within 30 seconds of explaining away that most of it went down the drain, they, it's almost like there's an intentional defense mechanism that pops up. They already forget to think about what happened to the absorption principle. What happened to all the water that got absorbed into all of the wood type structure on this main level above the basement level? How many gallons actually got absorbed? underneath wall plates, underneath cabinets, into the subfloor, uh, into the carpet pad that now they're walking on the carpet, they don't feel the water squishing up, but in the carpet pad, there's still maybe a third of a gallon or a quarter of a gallon per square foot of water, high water activity level in that pad that's still there that is now sitting against the subfloor and keeping it wet for an extended period of time. And we see so many people especially on the mold inspection side, more so than on the water damage restoration side. And here's the reason. Usually when a water restoration company gets called out to take care of a water loss, like I just explained, they have meters and tools to identify where all of these issues are. And so they map it out, they mark it out, they extract, they take things loose, they get down to single layers of things. They add heated drying systems, they add dehumidifiers and all All the stuff that comes with the professional restoration company comes into that home and mitigates it and it gets stabilized. That's in a perfect world. I realize some people don't have those good stories. We're not going to talk about that today. We're going to assume that the professionals knew what they were doing, got it done. What we find on the mold inspection side is they never called the restoration company in the first place. They might've had a pipe break, which is covered by insurance policies some of your drain backups are not, but your pipe breaks almost always, almost every case they're covered by insurance and people don't even realize that. So they don't call anyone. They do the shop back thing. They think they got it. Then about, you know, a year later or two years later or whatever it is, they call a company to come out and do an inspection. And during that inspection, the story finally gets told of what really happened with various water losses that were identified, various water loss events that were identified. And if the inspector knows what he's doing and knows what he's looking for, knows what, if he's got experience, he or she's got experience with water restoration, obviously that helps. They will automatically be doing the math that there is no way that all of the water that escaped from the tub actually got recovered or dried or stabilized in a timely manner that there wouldn't have been some sort of microbial activity. Okay. So these are the top two ways to grow mold. If you could manage these two things, so many people would not have a problem with indoor air quality. The problem is these are not easy. The easiest one is the second one. Anytime you have water escape a drain or a supply line, a sink or a tub or a toilet or a wash machine, if it gets out of where it's supposed to be, you must do the math and you must find out Where did the extra water go? And you must take things apart potentially to get to the bottom level of where the water might have soaked in so you can get it dry. Then you don't use your finger and you don't use your eyes to test to see if it's dry. You must either get a meter or a couple of meters to double check and verify that it's dry or call a company in to help you do that if you did things yourself. That is the single easiest one to control because usually you know that it happened. Now you just need to chase that water damage to the extent of where it went. You cannot just simply say, well, it was just an ice cream pail full of water and we got most of it mopped up. You better know that if it hit a baseboard or a cabinet or it went under a doorway and there's a closet on the other side with carpet and there's cardboard boxes stacked in there, you better know that water can get through very small spaces much smaller spaces than most other things, water is a powerful, powerful element. You have to follow it to the end, to the extent of where it went, okay? The really tough one here is the water activity level in concrete especially or wood foundation walls if you happen to live someplace where those are built. And the water activity level in concrete structures or concrete components within a structure, walls and floor, are probably the most often not thought about component in the home that causes water damage and microbial growth. So if you can understand that, you will be ahead of so many people. So Environmental Protection Agency, whether you like them or not, they have got some amazing guidance on mold in homes and then how to build against water damage And they have a guide. So you can go to the EPA website and you can look up the guide on how to build against having water problems in your home. And probably most people don't realize that that's there. There's a ton of other resources too. As we keep developing the podcast and the website and the Manage Mold Facebook page, we're going to get more and more of these links and more and more of this information that we believe is the best or that it's proven out to be the best. Um, We're going to make that available to everybody. Um, we're going to try and reach as many people as we can to get good information to them. So long story short, we're back to the grass seed. We're back to, we want to seed our lawn. What do we need? Well, we need the soil. The grass needs the soil in order to sprout in and to thrive. And then it needs water. It needs a water activity level that is greater on the outside of the seed to make its way across the seed so that the seed brings it into itself to grow this is what happens with mold. If you want to control mold in your home, you want your home to stay clean and dry. I will say that to the end of doing the podcast, a clean and dry home. This includes your foundation walls and your concrete slab in your basement. This includes your crawl spaces. This includes slab on grade systems. It includes a whole bunch of other things too. Like if you have an AC system in your attic, or if you had condensation on your windows in the winter. Think about Anything you can think about where water is someplace in your home or in a building that you work in that it's not supposed to be, that is not clean and dry. We want to do clean and dry. So whatever we have to do to maintain clean and dry, that will keep the mold from growing. So mold will always be with us. HEPA vacuuming, regular cleaning with soap and water is a great way to maintain any building. And if you can keep it clean and dry with good maintenance and good cleaning, you won't have mold growth. If you want the top two ways to grow mold in your home, ignore those little water loss events and ignore the fact that your foundation walls, your crawl space, or your slab might have enough water in it to actually sponsor growth right within your home. That's episode eight, everybody. So there's some really cool stuff coming up. So we've got in the coming podcasts that are already recorded, they're being edited, they're gonna be released. It's a whole string of interviews with different people. So we've got client interviews. We've got my chief mentor in the world, Michael Pinto. He is going to be on. Michael is, to me, he is the chief trainer of remediators and supervisors of remediators in the world. There are some other phenomenal trainers out there, not to take anything away from them. I've trained in both arenas, and the Restoration Industry Association simply has the master's level approach to doing mold remediation and to keeping a standard of care alive day by day without it getting old. And so Michael Pinto is going to be on and that is going to be a two-part deal and you are going to want to tune in for all of these. The next one's a client story and she's a phenomenal client. She's a phenomenal advocate for herself and she really stuck with some decisions she made about how she was going to move forward And about how she was not going to give up. And she got to a point where her home and her health are in much better shape. She's going to share her story. Then I've got a fellow remediator, inspector from Southern California. And he is going to be on and we'll let him share his story. And then we have another client interview after that. And that one is going to be a uh, long segment. That is going to be a one-hour, one-part segment. We're doing it that way. Uh, Because we felt that one was best not broken up. So anyway, there's some preview. I want you guys to come back. I want you to get some good information. There are some quality people that are coming. And you don't want to miss it. So thanks everybody for tuning in. Obviously tell people. You can find us easiest on Apple Podcast. But it's also on Spotify. And Stitcher. Google. There's other places that are Android based that you can get it. Come visit the Facebook page. uh, Manage Mold. And then watch the mold.com website as we develop that for you, and we'll get you some good information. So everybody, have an awesome day. Take care of each other, and take care of those you see. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for listening to the Manage Mold Podcast. Do you have a question that you'd like me to answer raw and uncut on the podcast? All you need to do is head over to Apple Podcasts and do three simple things. Leave a rating and review telling me what you think of the podcast. In that review, ask anything you want related to your home's health. And if you want a shout out, leave your Instagram handle or name. That's all. Then listen in to hear your question answered live, raw, and uncut. This is Dean Malstead. Join us next time on Manage Mold.